Real news. All right. Welcome, everyone, uh, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is July 14th, 2020. Six more days until it lets up. Six more, and we are going to start seeing things that are going to get us more excited. They're going to be more blatant. How's that? Because there are a lot of things that are happening uh, that you're just not picking up on because, you know, we're congested with so much information. This is an information overload for anybody. Uh, So today I wanted to um, kind of uh, get into a topic, well, a few topics. So one will be about leakers, right? We've got to talk about leakers. We got to revisit how President Trump's administration has been infiltrated from within, but, but, That will roll us into how the United Nations are actively trying to usurp our government, how they are trying to dismantle our government. And this is, if you put the pieces together, it all makes sense. So we're going to take it step by step. First things first, I want us um, (laughs) to take a listen to Roger Stone's... um, discussions and how uh, the judge, again, I said this, didn't I? She's going to burn her bench just like Sullivan. The judge, Judge Jackson, is demanding that the president clarify the extent of his clemency order. Hold on a second. When has a judge ever questioned a president about clemency or, you know, pardons, or do you see what I'm trying to say? This was never about justice. This was always about getting President Trump, and you're going to understand why. Because Agenda 21, they missed that mark. Now we're on Agenda 30. So take a listen to his interview and commentary. No circumstance under which I would bear false witness against the president. I, I was I was just not willing to lie. They wanted me to be the ham in their ham sandwich because they knew the Mueller report, particularly on Russia, was a dud. It was a goose egg. They had nothing. And they were hoping that I would recharacterize my phone calls. Roger Stone speaking out for the first time since President Trump commuted his sentence, the longtime Trump associate, accusing the prosecution of trying to get him to lie about the president, calling the judge in his case biased and the system itself fixed. Now, Democrats are demanding a legal review of the commutation. Let's bring Andy McCarthy, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and a Fox News contributor. Judge Amy Berman Jackson, Andy, asked the order to actually the DOJ to explain the scope of the commutation. The president wiped out everything except for the conviction in a statement saying, quote, I commute the entirety of the prison sentence imposed upon said Roger Jason Stone Jr. to expire immediately. I also commute the entirety of the two-year term of supervised release with all its conditions And finally, I remit any unpaid remainder of the $20,000 fine imposed. In a column in the National Review today, Andy, you were critical of the judge for even asking for a review of the scope. Well, I think, John, that it was really more of a political thing than a legal thing. Uh, Once she imposed a sentence with a very few important exceptions that aren't relevant here, Roger Stone is not her responsibility anymore. She claimed she was making this request on behalf of the probation department to see if the supervised release part of the sentence was still in place. Um, I I highly doubt that they were all that curious about it. Um, But 
I think it does cause people to wonder. It certainly makes me wonder, given the number of terrorists who were pardoned by President Clinton and President Obama, is there a single judge in the United States or a single probation officer, for that matter, who's worried about whether the terrorists are reporting to their probation officers? Now, Roger Stone does have an underlying medical condition. He is an asthmatic. And uh, when uh, he was speaking with Sean Hannity last night, he thanked President Trump for showing courage to commute his sentence. Listen to what he said. The most important thing here is the courageousness of the president's act. I know there were many, many, many people who told him in an election year, don't do this. Uh, Let Roger Stone wait maybe for a pardon after the election. Sean, I don't think I would have lived that long, not with my asthmatic condition, not with now 60 uh, uh, COVID-19 cases in that prison. Roger Stone was terrified, Andy, of contracting coronavirus disease. But is that a reason to commute someone's sentence? Well, I don't think it's a reason to commute the sentence, John, and I I don't have a brief for Roger Stone. I think he got leniency, especially when the Justice Department intervened so that his guideline sentence of nine years ended up. Uh Oh, I'm not happy with this, Mr. McCarthy. What do you mean leniency? He wasn't even supposed to be on trial. Okay, this was a witch hunt from the get go. And I say it. And I said it on my show, even when I was interviewing Roger Stone, not only was Roger Stone targeted, Manafort was targeted, Flynn was targeted, and Cohen. Aside from the fact that Cohen flipped and he totally bent over, the only thing he didn't do is hand over a Vaseline jar, you know, he also was targeted. He was put in a box and, you know, the more holes they can find and the more they can pressure you can do. But the one thing, and I I urge you to listen to my interview with Roger Stone, because you'll understand who he is. This guy has been skirting, you know, all orbits of left and right forever. He has been in the mix forever. And he's really good at what he does, staying in the middle. And he's very, um, the, the thing that makes him different. And I wish a lot of people were like that. He doesn't put self-preservation over his morals. And, you know, like I said, self-preservation is a quality every single human being has. And this is why we're in this predicament. It's like, oh, I wanted to say something, but I really need my job. Oh, I wanted to do something, but, you know, I might not be able to work. Oh, I wanted to do this, but, you know, they might kill me. (laughs) All questions I've asked myself, too. And so we have to, I think that is the ultimate sacrifice just in general, right, in general, is putting others ahead of you, not just saying like, oh, I'm going to feed you first and then I eat. That's a, that's a, that's a going theme with my girls. You know, they're like, oh, mom, are you being the hero? Say, say like I'm making food, right? And instead of making two cups of rice, I make one cup of rice. I serve my kids and I'm like, ah, I don't want rice. And they're like, oh, being the hero again. Uh, You know, as a parent and any other parent can understand that and be like, yeah, I did that. But then I went and picked off their plate. But I'm just saying, like, these are things that we think are putting others ahead. But the ultimate true sacrifice is saying, you know what? No, I'm going to stand up for what's right, even if my head gets mowed while I do it, because I stand for something rather than fall for anything. And this is, no matter how you see Roger Stone, you know, he's been called an opportunist, which is true in a sense. He's been called anything you want. The one thing is, is that he does not veer from his morals, right? And when you set those boundaries, those are the only people you can actually trust with your life. But on the other hand, what if I told you it was actually pretty well orchestrated on that? But 
Regardless, the commutation of sentence was important because through the commutation of a sentence, now still having a record of a felony, right? He can then file an appeal. And through that appeal, the judge is going to be in a lot of trouble. The court systems are going to be in a lot of trouble for the way they select jury pools. This will help us clean up the judicial system. The only branch of government that I said is a problem. It's a judicial branch. Yes, legislative, because we have crazy people like Pelosi and Schiff. But if you were them, you'd understand why they're crazy. Their livelihoods are at stake. Their lives are at stake. Look at the way they've changed in the past three years. They have absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain. So you understand their madness, right? So his commutation was perfect because the appeal is perfect. And like Roger Stone said, it took a lot of courage because within the White House, in his cabinet, surrounding him, his national security, and let's not even, I mean, we can, we're going to talk a little bit about the deep state department. They all come around President Trump and squeeze him. Remember that he is surrounded by snakes being something more like 40 months when the judge finally imposed it. But at the same time, let's let's be real. If he were not connected to Donald Trump, the tendency throughout this country from sea to shining sea is to throw the courthouse or the jailhouse doors open on account of coronavirus. So there are hardened criminals being released all over the country. And this guy would not have had a chance of being released simply because he's connected to Trump, which I think is also wrong. Let's just remember that an eight-year-old child was killed in Baltimore because hardened criminals were released and she was shot. The Democrats own that. Vermont Senator Pat Leahy wants the Department of Justice to review the commutation, suggesting that if that commutation was traded for a promise not to incriminate the president, it would be a crime. Senator Pat Leahy saying, quote, given recently surfaced information indicating that President Trump may have commuted Mr. Stone's sentence in exchange for his refusal to incriminate the president pursuant to your own standard, an inquiry by the Justice Department into Mr. Stone's commutation is clearly warranted. Is it warranted, Andy? Yeah. Well, I think it's a silly request because if Pat Leahy really feels that way, the Senate can look into that. And if there's anything there, it's a lot more likely that the Senate will come up with it than the Trump Justice Department, right, at least by his lights. So nothing prevents him from following up on that. I would suggest that they probably don't want to have a a comparison between the Trump pardons and the Clinton pardons, because I don't Mm. think that's going to do... Right. It's not going to do any favors because Rosenberg, who was a a convicted terrorist, was pardoned by President Clinton. And now she's the financial advisor on the following boards. Black Lives Matter. Teach America. No wonder our kids are so insane and so on and so on. So do they want to go to the comparison route? I'm more than happy to anybody any good. So we'll see what they do. But nothing stops him from looking at that if he wants to. Many of us remember the pardon, the absolute pardon of Susan McDougall back in 2001. Of course, she was a leading figure in the Whitewater investigation. Andy McCarthy, it's always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, John. Okay, so that was the Roger Stone um, 
piece. Now I wanted to go to something that really troubled me. And I'm going to share the image of this uh, video because you're going to understand how we can see the infiltration. Okay, I want you guys to see the title right there, Our New Normal. See, that is a playbook, right, uh, out of uh, the Green New Deal, the New World Order, and Agenda 30, the new normal. Uh, Millie Weaver went through this on her report on how, uh, you know, the Sunrise Movement is telling people about this new normal. So take a listen to what Ingram says about this. Over the July 4th weekend, he pledged to fundamentally transform the United States if president. Translation, a grab bag of squad approved measures that begin with massive wealth confiscation is coming your way. Your money is going to be used to fund a war on oil and gas, regulatory harassment of businesses, massive amnesty and a flood of foreign workers and refugees, gun confiscation from citizens on bogus grounds, a radicalization of our school from schools from pre-K through college, free health care, including medical marijuana for illegals, government-run health care, and, of course, reparations. Stop. What do you mean those are the measures that they want to do? They've already implemented most of this. This is rubbish. This has already been done. We have government-run health care because every single hospital, every single insurance company is run by the government according to the Affordable Care Act. You know, no one's ever bothered to read thousands of pages that are in there. But I actually worked on a portion of the Affordable Care Act. So I'm telling you this is the way it is. Now, reparations, they've been mulling that ball for a while. I mean, why don't I ask for reparations, too? I mean, the Greeks were slaves, too, right? So were the Italians. So were the Irish. So were et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Are we kidding here? This is just unbelievable. And yesterday, it was funny to see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez applauding herself for her quarantine, right? And how she got to silver level three. And I'm like, oh, great. See, everybody else, including myself, we've had our income hindered completely, standstill, to the point that I'm like, damn, uh, I hope unemployment covers me, which uh, it didn't in full. So I was like... Damn, but she's getting a paycheck to sit there and play video games while she has the UN create these documents and then she feels like she's smart and she's just reiterating things. She, if you actually ask her core concepts like she has been asked in the past, she has no idea what she's talking about. That's just a smattering, okay? And of course, this is all going to be accompanied with retribution for anyone in punishment for anyone who resists. So the DOJ, the FBI, OSHA, the NSA... Agencies like the FCC are going to be activated against hardworking Americans who still believe in freedom. Well, today in California and New York, we see evidence of how all of America will operate under a President Biden. I truly think that if we do this right, we have an incredible opportunity to not just dig out of this crisis, but to fundamentally transform the country so that it's more fair, more just more equitable for everybody. Oh, yeah. Uh, more equitable. Uh-huh. Lockdowns and other emergency powers are going to be used whenever government needs to get you to bend and otherwise relinquish your rights for the greater good. Now, this has nothing to do with the virus, which is overwhelmingly survivable for most Americans. 
And these draconian and arbitrary moves are about politics and power. Now, under democratic rule, hold on to your wallet, protect your kids, and get ready to lose money, your freedom, and most of the American traditions that we all love. These last four months, the angle has been doing everything in our power to help get America back to normal. Meanwhile, the Democrats and their new ideological soulmates on the far left, they've been using this time to plot and plan on how to get us to a new normal. Now, I warned you about that phrase in early April. I detested it then, and we have ample reason to detest it even more now. So tonight, I decided to unveil our new normal. So going forward, this is what we should all be arguing for, a return to common sense pro-American conservatism. So let's talk about this new normal. So let's be clear. Whatever stood before is not going to stand anymore. Okay, Uh, the days of yesterday are not tomorrow. And that's the way it is. So how do we move forward? Well, we obviously see clearly now that we are in the middle of a civil war and we have foreign influence. And today the show is going to show you this foreign influence. But foreign influence is nothing without memorandums of understanding, some of which my eyes have gandered when I had parts of that DNC server and having former generals and even acting ones enforcing the foreign policies that wish to be done. Now, if you remember clearly, there have been some alterations, alterations by the Trump administration in regards of how to handle active duty members that are colluding or conspiring to overthrow the government, to usurp us, and to give comfort to foreign enemies. I'd say that's treason, but it was put together in a right way. Today, it was stated that executions are now going forward, and we had our first execution of that crazy guy that back in the day had stunned a family Then he put bags over the head and drowned them out in Illinois. He was just executed today. So executions have come full circle 17 years later. Hmm. And just so you know, we're going to have a bit of a shakeup. Like I said, just because I said July 20th is where, you know, that chokehold is released does not mean it's going to be easy up until Labor Day. You are going to see things that is going to make you, you're going to irk. You're going to be like, oh my God. And this is why he will win in a landslide. Landslide. Because when people, when I say our president has been executing his first term with his hands and his feet bound, you will see just how bound he was. What the Democrat circus that they have put on, you know, the, the lies and lies and lies that they have fed us, that the mockingbird media has just echoed back and forth, congesting the information highway is nothing when you realize those that stood next to him, those that supposedly stood for our country, tried to usurp our government. That will blow your mind. So before we get to this, let's get 
to that portion of it, which is, let me see, how do I share this? I will see how I can share this because it is important that we remember some previous history. Just a short time ago, calling the New York Times gutless after a late afternoon anonymous op-ed from someone the paper labels a senior Trump administration official. In that op-ed, the official writes that many inside the White House and the administration are working to thwart the president at every turn. All this writer says to save the country. He or she, the Times uses the pronoun he, writes that the successes of the administration have come despite, not because of the president's leadership style described as impetuous, adversarial, petty, and ineffective. Within the past few minutes, the White House press secretary pushed back hard. Chief White House correspondent John Roberts has details from the North Lawn. Good evening, John. Both the press secretary and the president pushing back hard uh, late this afternoon, Brett, on this anonymously authored op-ed in the New York Times. In a lengthy statement, we'll only read part of it, Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying, quote, we are disappointed but not surprised that the paper chose to publish this pathetic, reckless, and selfish op-ed. This coward should do the right thing and resign. At a law enforcement officer event, sheriff's uh, event, uh, in the past hour, the president running down a long list of what he says are accomplishments that his administration has achieved over the past uh, 16 or 18 months, and uh, also saying that the New York Times publishing an anonymous op-ed was an absolutely gutless move. Nobody has ever done in less than a two-year period what we've done. So when you tell me about some anonymous source within the administration, probably who's failing and probably here for all the wrong reasons. The unidentified official says he is part of the resistance in the White House that believes the president continues to act in a manner that is detrimental to the health of our republic. The author says he and other like-minded administration officials are working to insulate the government from what he calls the president's misguided impulses. Meetings with him veer off topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants and his impulsive results in half-baked, ill-informed, and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. Now, there was an article that I published back in when this happened, and I told the world who would say that. I told the world who would say that, and it looks like the rest of the world will find out too. Now, where have I been pointing to for a very long time? To my listeners. That yes, we have national security advisors. Yes, we have, uh, you know, the international office that is filled with insane idiots. Yes, we have staffers in the White House that shouldn't be there, like an Iranian florist that listens to everything. Yes, we had Dan Coats, who made fun of the president of the United States on a global platform. Yes, we have the IG of the NSA that actually created the National Anti-Corruption Bureau in the Ukraine. Never once was asked by, asked by the Senate if he ever worked for another government, but it's not any of them. Who are the people that are actually orchestrating and creating the algorithms, the methods, the processes, and contracting out what should be executed by federal employees 
as contractors. I've told you to look at the generals. I've made it clear how Admiral Harris is one of the most corrupt idiots. I have no idea why he's representing our nation in South Korea. He leaked, leak, leak for North Korea, causing us trouble. He and his stupid mustache need to be packed up and tried and stripped of his stars. But I guess we have to do all of this on a public stage. There were six, and now there are two. That's all I have to say on that. That is going to be coming soon. I already mentioned it. That article that I searched to find on Big League Politics had been removed. Uh, So uh, it's not there, and I won't publish it because for whatever reason it was pulled. Maybe it was done by a certain agency. Maybe it was done by error. But all of you can do the math. I've always said, look at the stars. Because uh, when the nation is going stars forward, it's only as strong as the stars. And we can see where we have unhealthy executions of orders by the President of the United States. And this is not some career, which, by the way, we need to stop, like the career officials. Okay, we're going to just skip it for a minute. The career officials at the State Department need to go, all of them. So I'll break for commercials right now, and I'll see you guys in just a bit. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, Your hopes and your dreams will define our American destiny. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable. After nearly four years, my family's nightmare is finally over. We couldn't have survived this without the love and support of the millions of patriots around the world. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. Hi, I'm Laura Loomer. And I'm running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District. Wouldn't it be horrible if we lived in a nation where journalists were silenced just because they confronted the political and media elite? You might think that could never happen in America, but it did. And to me. For confronting people like Hillary Clinton on her corruption and Ilhan Omar for her ties to radical Islamic terror groups, I have been banned on pretty much every single social media platform. And if that doesn't sound extreme enough, I'm also banned on Uber and Lyft. I know I cannot understand that last one either. 
When this all happened to me, I contacted the media and members of Congress. I asked them for help. I kept calling, I kept emailing, but I never received a reply. And that's when it hit me. I'm a well-known journalist who has the phone numbers of the most powerful people in politics and media, yet I couldn't get any assistance. What on earth would the average American do if the same thing happened to them? I realized then that if I wanted to see change, that I would need to run for office. The American people deserve representation that listens to and acts on their concerns. So here I am, running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District, because the American people deserve a voice and a representative who, like President Trump, will keep the promises they make and speak up loudly and clearly for that silent majority. All right. Welcome back, everyone. So just to recap, right, remember that our strength as a nation comes, yes, from the leader, right, which has not been the case for decades. It always comes from the Praetorians, (laughs) those that know best, right? So I just want you to hear the rest of this report before we continue because it's important to remember it as it comes back into cycle. I'm, you know, I sent my analyses, but again, when surrounded by corrupt gatekeepers, it may not have reached, but I have faith because I don't send it to just one person, right? I don't just send it to the president. I send it to everybody. The amount of money I have spent to track and send it to all of them, And it's not like, oh, care of this person. It's like to him, to him, to him is insane. But I have to because the truth must come through. You know, uh, it's very hard for people to get into the mind of how these, and I want to call them monsters, operate. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, look, President Trump had pictures. He was with Epstein and Giseline. Yeah, he was. But while they were drinking and getting high, he was remembering everything they would forget by morning. Almost like me. I was there. I did my job. I believed that I was doing amazing things. I actually kind of did pretty cool things. You know, I was like, yo... Man, I'm good at this. But in retrospect, I see that everything, and you know, God rest my father's soul, because when I would complain how, oh, I don't like this. Oh, I have to keep my mouth shut. Oh, I have to play along. Oh, I can't. I have to say something. He said, you know, and I, and I say this all the time, you know, that one drop that makes that cup over overflow with water it's only one drop you have to know what time that drop falls to create the spill because yes if i'm one of the drops that go in but i'm not the one to cause the spill it's not as effective right it only takes one drop to make water over spill in a glass but which drop are you the one that helps build up the spill or the one that makes the spill and so he, very wise, was like, you'll just know. 
You know, he, he gave me some really good advice when my soul was being bit at from a very, very young age. You know, in retrospect, all these opportunities that I had as a very young child, we're talking like I started at my last single digit of nine, you know, getting into these programs and, you know, getting into government sponsored training and all this stuff. You know, I thought I was just like, yeah, you know, it's because I'm smart. I'm good at math. I'm good at patterns. So, hey, that's my superpower. I was being groomed to not be able to see the devil <laughs> that I was dancing with. And so for me, it's a lot easier because I know, I don't know where the bodies are buried, but I could pretty much point out to where all that information is with my little finger. So the time was right now. And, you know, I assume that the time was right back 20 years ago. And it was only that much to see how much of a shift could happen. But now we're actually in the middle of a civil war and we don't realize it. We are on the brink of where foreign entities are entering and have entered and our Supreme Court just let them do it. And I'll explain. Because as I've said before, Obamagate, Spygate, Hillarygate, Enrongate, all of those gates are pale and are nothing compared to SCOTUSgate. Because they would not be able to exist without the SCOTUS. And so as I've said, by the time the President of the United States leaves office, every single one of those judges will be replaced except for one. Now, two down, got a few more to go, right? So you're going to see it happen because when you realize the war that you cannot see, this invisible enemy, huh, not the virus, okay, is right under your nose. If Wayfair taught you anything, it's that they do it right under your nose and they laugh about it too. Hey, I've been there. When I had certain big, you know, <laughs> I have to be careful what I say. People that are responsible for a lot of people do what I convinced them to do without convincing them. Wow, you cannot imagine the power you feel when these people have solid gold toilets and you're just, you know, making whatever. Yet you change the course of their leadership. So imagine how drunk on power every single one of these clowns are now. Every single one of them. And this is why they're so angry and so vicious. I mean, CNN investigators went and investigated Tucker Carlson's writer. <laughs> I didn't know they were investigators. Can you see that they've been trained to do other things? Anyway, let's continue with this. The official says the resistance wants the Trump White House to succeed, but adds successes have come despite not because of the president's leadership style, which is impetuous, adversarial, petty and ineffective. 
The op-ed was another rip at the president who had just been torn up one side and down the other in Bob Woodward's new book. In the Oval Office with the Emir of Kuwait today, President Trump fired back. The book is a work of fiction. If you look back at Woodward's past, he had the same problem with other presidents. He likes to get publicity, sell some books. The book, Fear, Trump and the White House, paints a portrait of a chaotic West Wing where senior aides spoke of the president in denigrating terms. Since then, two of his top lieutenants, Defense Secretary James Mattis and Chief of Staff John Kelly came forward to declare what they are alleged to have said is simply not true. Already General Mattis has come out very, very strongly. He was insulted by the remarks that were attributed to him, and he came out with a very strong statement. General John Kelly, the same exact thing. He thought he was insulted by what they said. The president today said the timing of the book's release was meant to disrupt the Kavanaugh hearings, and he said the allegation that he wanted to assassinate Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad is a fabrication. Never even discussed. The book is total fiction. Just like he wrote in the past about other presidents, you look at what he said about President Bush, what he said about President Obama, big scandalous thing. Big. It lasts for about a day. As the fear storm continued to swirl, President Trump's attorneys came a step closer to allowing Robert Mueller to question the president. Sources tell Fox News in response to an August 6th letter from Rudy Giuliani and Jay Sekulow, Mueller offered to limit his questions to Russia and whether there was collusion by the Trump campaign and said he would accept written answers to the questions. I'm not concerned about the president of the United States responding if we decide to accept the proposition of responding to written questions. Sources say Mueller has, for the moment, shelved his request to ask questions that go to the issue of obstruction of justice. But he has hasn't fully taken that idea off the table. He is also requesting the option of an in-person follow-up interview on collusion, depending on what is in the president's written answers. The president's attorneys responded to Mueller's response earlier today. They say that they might accept the idea of written answers on the subject of Russia and whether there was collusion, but that any follow-up interview would also have to involve written answers written answers that can also be taken out of context. So now let's hop into the juicy parts, right? We should go back to what we were going with uh, Ingram, right? We need to listen to that because then you'll understand the biggest enemy, the United Nations. I've been screaming at the top of my lungs that we need to defund them. I have been howling because I know exactly how the international office works. And their job is simply to dissolve our sovereignty and our nation. I kid you not. Like I said, none of these idiots know what they're doing there. Huh? Yes. Tori, that's a big statement. I kid you not. None of these people know what they're doing there. Even people that are staffers at the White House have no idea. They need to be directed. Everybody needs to be spoon-fed. No one takes any responsibility for anything. <laughs> they're all idiots. All of them. Every single one of them. Fee over in Afghanistan. It's like intentional suicide. I, I, my eyes roll so hard every time I think about it. I'm just like, oh, this was done on purpose. How can I be the only one that sees it? Because she's such an idiot. But anyway, I digress. Let's listen to the rest of uh, Laura Ingram's new normal discussion before we get into the really, really juicy stuff. Because it's important you remember this. Okay. 
important you remember this, because while everyone talks about Agenda 21, that ship sailed. We delayed that in 2016. There's a new plan, and they've been working on it. And I'm going to show you how this invisible enemy has been infiltrating our nation and our borders and has been festering and growing an army right under your nose. Now, no offense to 41 or 43, but we're never going to be a Bush party again. And I realize this may upset the dozens of well-funded Trump-hating Republicans out there. Nevertheless, our new normal will be ardently anti-leftist, fervently pro-American, and a relentlessly pro-worker party. Now, have you noticed how many Republicans have been heading for the hills when the going has gotten tough in recent months? Uh, I can count on one, maybe two hands the number of people who are leading the push against BLM, Antifa, even China. And now, of course, Democrat attacks on basic American institutions. National Review, they published this piece today about how legalizing marijuana would be a good thing to do now. Now, this is a leading conservative magazine. There's some nice, really nice people, smart people there. But they think drugs are the answer? So keep us all numb and dumb? Oh, that'll do the trick. Great for the kids. Well, again, here's what our new normal would look like. Number one, supporting only those who fight to save America. So before you give a dime to a conservative group or a think tank or a candidate or a campaign, ask yourself, where were they when we needed them? Yeah, where was the Atlantic Council, Brookings Institute, Bush, Bush, whatever it's called? That's right. Who are you opening your wallet to? Who are you supporting? Who are these people that you're getting behind? <laughs> Not only think tanks and journalists and whatnot, but think of products that they're putting and candidates that are running. That's a very good point, Laura. If the answer is they sat on the sidelines or spent their time criticizing the president and helping Biden, they should have no future in Republican politics. Number two, preserving our history, our declaration and constitution. We will proudly protect our national holidays and our monuments and, the, yeah, and some of the names of our, our states and cities. We'll get to that in a moment. And we're going to embark on an effort to educate America on the greatness of our founders and key historical events in progress. Contributions of Americans from all races and creeds will be celebrated and appreciated. Number three, no more lockdowns. Viruses are a fact of life. And it's very sad. And sometimes, as with COVID-19, there will be awful, tragic results. We need to keep the most vulnerable safe. We need to try to find treatments. But trampling on our basic rights and wrecking businesses, ruining livelihoods and bankrupting our country is simply no longer an option. Even Fauci had to admit a vaccine may never come. Number four. Wait, before we get to number four, so there's an article that I am um, putting together. I caught Bill Gates saying something that a lot of us have heard through schools when they tell us you have to vaccinate your kid, that pro-vaxxers and everyone tell you is important. And you know what he said? With his own mouth. Well, we don't know if vac well, vaccines don't protect asymptomatic carriers from giving a virus or something to someone else. So you're saying my kid takes the MMR, uh, MMR vaccines to supposedly protect themselves 
so they can't really get it, but they could still get it. But it doesn't protect other kids. So then if the other parents want to vaccinate the kids, they're telling me that I have to get it to protect their kids or kids that can't be vaccinated, even though vaccines don't protect asymptomatic carriers. I get it. You see, they trip up in their own lies. At some point, it comes full circle. Kids need to stay in school. Teachers are essential workers. They're just like firefighters and policemen that way. They need to be on the job. A new German study out today confirms what we knew from Iceland's experience. There's no evidence that kids spread COVID in school. Yet the anti-science crowd claiming to be the science crowd from California to Montgomery County, Maryland, have announced that they're going to hold no in-person education for kids, if you can believe that. The idiotic modified schedules of New York and, and places like Virginia are a total nightmare as well. This will be catastrophic for parents and kids. Start making noise on that. Number five, no to endless edicts. Yes to actual laws. Now, governors like Andy Bashir of Kentucky, they've been slapped down by state courts for overstepping their authority during the pandemic. So this has been my point. If masks and social distancing are really the only answer we have right now, then why didn't Biden get out of the basement and push Nancy Pelosi to come back into session and pass a law requiring both? Well, I'll tell you why. They love unaccountable power, and they're not sure they'd win in court if challenged. Number six, hands off our places of worship. We reject that many despots in state governments have the right under the U.S. Constitution to stop us from going to practice our faith in our religious communities. Freedom of worship is essential to millions of Americans. But it's not the states. It's the cardinals, the bishops, the head of churches that are telling you, you can't go to church because yet around the world, Christianity is the only one that's being attacked. You know, white gloves for all the other religions. Right. But Christianity, we have the center of Orthodox historical Christianity being taken over by the Muslim Brotherhood and that church is going to be turned into a mosque at the end of the month. We have the Virgin Mary statues being trashed throughout the United States. <laughs> so it's not just the governor's mandating that you can't go to church because if your church wanted to, it would exercise its right. That's what we have to remember that it's all a show. <laughs> Blame the other, blame the other, just pointing fingers rather than just say, hey, just pulled both your pants down. You're both lying. But this is part of the plan. Keep the kids scared of other kids. Have them be antisocial. Have them believe that the real society is cyber society. And you can be exiled by people like Dorsey and, you know, Alphabet and, and, and. Meanwhile, while we're doing all this and we're fighting for our freedom and our sovereignty, they are sailing other nations. That'll come tomorrow. And if you remember correctly, I told you on New Year's Day that when Africa comes into the picture, that's when things are going to notch up. And here it is. Africa has just come into the picture strong and loud. It first came testing this foe. 
testing methodology. And now it's coming full speed ahead. And that'll be tomorrow's topic. So let's just finish up with what Laura has to say here, because it's very important. Because once you understand what she tells us should be our principles, and very good analysis on it, ah, a few points that I want to say, mm, I don't know, <laughs> you'll see how the Supreme Court just helped our enemies get a foothold in our nation. Now, if Catholic bishops spend as much effort defending their parishes as they've spent defending illegal immigrants, we may have already won on this issue. Number seven, no coddling of criminals. New York and Chicago have seen a heinous rise in murders and robberies since the defund the police effort began. It's a policy the leftists demand as our new normal. But AOC wasn't A-OK trying to explain the recent violent crime surge. Maybe this has to do with the fact that people aren't paying their rent and are scared to pay their rent. They're put in a position where they feel like they either need to shoplift some bread or go hungry that night. I must have missed all the bread thefts that were happening. Looters and other thugs who destroy the civil rights of others should be prosecuted, not released back onto the streets. Same should apply to police if they commit crimes. Number eight, new industrial policy. It's called Made in the USA. Now, Biden's going to claim he agrees with this, but come on, we destroyed that last week. 40 years in Washington of Biden's tells us that whole thing was a lie. Our economic policy should make it easier to do business here. All essential medicine supply chains need to be brought back home, period. Number nine. Call out companies that continue to prop up China while railing against America. The NBA and the sports media are a case study in this very type of hypocrisy. Now, it's worth remembering that the Chinese Communist Party brutalizes Muslims and other minorities as a matter of state policy. Of course, left-wing ESPN and other sports media that have fallen all over themselves to support the political movement of BLM. But the brutality of China, they utterly ignore. Now, LeBron James's deal with Nike is reportedly worth $1 billion. Well, Nike raked in $6 billion from China last year. Hmm. No wonder LeBron was incensed by Daryl Morey's Hong Kong tweet last fall. The king of Beijing. That has a nice ring to it. Number 10. Cancel the cancel culture. When they seek to destroy people or companies just because they disagree on politics, We'll answer them with lawsuits and boycotts. That's a bad pun, but stay with me. The Goya Foods CEO targeted by the left is being supported by millions nationwide and is unbowed. There are those who are born to love and to build and others to hate and destroy. And unfortunately, there's a movement of hatred and destruction. You're not going to apologize for standing next to President Trump. Hell no. Love him. And finally, number 11, defund colleges and universities. It's time to stop sending our tax dollars to professors and administrators who teach students to hate America. Wait, what if I told you in the next hour, you're going to see a university that helped put out the plan during, and I quote, the Trump era so they can plan the execution of our foreign influence plan within our nation. 
blow your mind, right? And this is why I've been saying, it's not just not giving them tax cuts. It's like when a student applies for a federal loan and they go to a university that is pushing anti-American policies, promoting foreign influence in our nation and promoting anti-American ideologies and hate, then they can't go because they can't get a loan. That's the way it should be. And those that promote freedom of speech, freedom of thought, maybe we can fund them 100% with no loans. Well, that'll make them really salty, won't it? I'd prefer my tax dollars to go and support someone to go to university and not have to pay a dime as long as they come out the other end untainted and true to themselves. You know what I would do if I were in Congress? I'd hold hearings and I'd start asking these college presidents that take federal money, how many conservatives do you have on your faculty? What's the ratio of conservative to liberal commencement speakers? Do any of your faculty members hate the country? Do you have any evidence that they do? You ever considering hiring Americans who don't hate the country? A populist conservatism was precisely the type of new normal that Trump ran on in 2016. He's made. And this is why he's going to run this time he's running and he's going to win in a landslide, not just win. He's going to win so hard, so hard that the tears that you saw from that dude, Matto, which, you know what, there is a troll side of me. It's like this, you know, petty little girl that's troll. I go back and watch that every now and then. I kid you not. The whole video where they're like, he's never going to be president. And then their faces going down and down. Tears and frustration. It's all coming. Okay, guys, I will see you right after this short break. And we're going to start with a university that is promoting, well, actually helping to provide land for foreign entities to take foothold and destroy our nation. I'll see you guys in a bit. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back. July 14th, 2020. And like I said, today is going to be pretty eye-opening where you're going to see Agenda 21. We overcame that one. But they had Agenda 2030 in place. Now, back a while, while back with Millie Weaver, we were talking about election fraud in Kentucky. We were talking about, uh, she did some great reports. We did some reports together. And after I showed up on her YouTube channel, she was demonetized too. And for those of you, I'm not actually monetized. I think the only thing I'm allowed to have is, uh, well, it's an escrow because they're constantly hitting me with these stupid copyright claims. Who cares? Uh, apparently, old presidents talking are copyrights. But um, this is a way they try to silence you. They know um, that it hurts. And Millie Weaver went out on a limb and she was hit hard because what we were putting forward was the expose that this election meddling and fraud, this these stolen elections are not just in the United States. They're global. And there's this idea of stronger cities, smart cities, all linking back to the United Nations. 
And the United Nations have made it no secret what their goal is at all. So, you know, how do we tackle that? How do we fix that? Well, the first thing we have to do is make sure that we don't allow these scholars, you know, like the ones that uh, testified against our president, take over. And this is from 1961. Akin to and largely responsible for the sweeping changes in our industrial military posture has been the technological revolution during recent decades. In this revolution, research has become central. It also becomes more formalized, complex, and costly. A steadily increasing share is conducted for, by, or at the direction of the federal government. Today, the solitary inventor, tinkering in his shop, has been overshadowed by task forces of scientists in laboratories and testing fields. In the same fashion, the free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research, partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. For every old blackboard, there are now hundreds of new electronic computers. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Yet in holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. It is the task of statesmanship to mold, to balance, and to integrate these and other forces, new and old, within the principles of our democratic system, ever aiming toward the supreme goals of our free society. Oh, look at that. That was like, you know, over 50 years ago. And here we are in exactly what he said we would be. Exactly what he said we would be, we are. And here's another great president who kind of said the same thing after that one. He was shot for it, too. Take a listen. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning 
to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. <laughs> How weird. Isn't this exactly what applies right now? Exactly what applies right now? Hmm. It's important that we see just how far they're willing to go to shut you up. Take a listen to this video. It was George Tennant and John Brennan that put the seal on the case, the suit that I filed for the poisoning of my family. So uh, I'm int intimately familiar with Brennan's abuse of power. Tennant and Brennan used the state secret privilege to seal cases against the CIA more than any CIA director in history. So yes, I'm familiar with Brennan, and yes, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with his tyrannical abuse of power with the CIA. Essentially, they sealed all the evidence I, I had collected, doctor's diagnosis, which, by the way, Greg, I've now posted on my website for people to see. Hold on. Sure. You're telling me that the CIA tried to poison your family? Yes, when, when after I exposed the vulnerability to our agents and, and the CIA was publicly embarrassed to the intelligence community, I was put on a classified CIA base. They ordered me to move my family into the house. And within three months, everybody was sick. My wife was bleeding out of her gums, her nose. She had bruises all over her body. She lost her, her short-term memory. Uh, and and uh, her headaches were so bad, they had her on morphine. And, and the doctors, they, they, they said, we don't, it's some sort of toxin. We don't know what it is. I, I secretly flew my son to a well-known immunologist. And after three days of testing, he sat us down and said, Mr. Ship, based on your son's immune system, it, it, it's the same as being exposed to a burst of radiation. So they had poisoned my entire family, so I decided to file suit and stand up against it, and that's when they issued a blacked-out gag order. We didn't even know what was in it, and on and on and on it went. I got, the evidence was so strong, a federal judge ordered the CIA to a mediated settlement in Washington, D.C., run by a former federal judge. We went through four hours of deliberation with the CIA legal team, and they agreed and signed the settlement agreement, which is also now on my website, three days later. The CIA, remember John Brennan and George Tennant, called my attorney and said, if Mr. Schiff doesn't accept a fraction of the settlement agreement, we're going to invoke the state secrets privilege and seal all the evidence. My response was not only no, but H-E double toothpicks, no. Well, I think it was about a week later. Sure enough, they invoked the state secrets privilege, sealed all the evidence that I collected, even from Congress, and then threatened me with prison if I talked about the evidence to anyone. Bullies. That's what they are. Big, big bullies. I used to I used to roll with all those bullies. All of them. Chief bully, too. So they're probably really pissed off. But they know that I've been trained really, really, really well. And, you know, it's been a while. And this is where you You're see just News. who we go against. 
They're animals. They're willing to kill you if you fear death. They will come after you and take you out because they can. No other reason, just because they can. And yes, they can. They can take me out faster than anything. But the thing that they don't know is what if, and that's the thing, the what if part is what kills them. Now, a couple days ago, I had told you that um, we need, you, you, you know how we talked about Bing jumping off the 27th floor. Now, Bing and the prime minister of Pakistan had a really tight relationship via women, of course. And so Pakistan was actually sent a message by our nation to stop siding with China or there will be consequences. Now, I just mentioned this so you have that in the back of your mind. As World War III kicks off in the Mediterranean, like I said it would back in 2018, have that in the back of your mind. Now see how they've moved the war to our doorstep. So their first step, was defunding the police. And here's where they explain to you how they're doing it and why they're doing it, right? Uh, That's the important thing. It's why are they doing it that you ask yourself? Is there a reason that uh, you're defunding the police? Is it important? How is this important? This is going to come all into focus when you hear them from last year, what their plan was. Take a listen to this. NYPD Lieutenant Darren Porcher, and it's great to have you here, Darren. And I have to tell you, I mean, I think one of the darkest days we've had as a city was learning that a one-year-old in his stroller was shot and killed in Brooklyn. This city is sick right now. Your reaction? You know, when you say one of the, Cheryl, when you say one of the darkest states we've ever seen in the city, I think that was when Mayor de Blasio was elected. Um, his crime control strategy has been horrific. And when we take in consideration what his focus is in connection with public safety, he's lost. We had a one-year-old that lost their lives as a result of gun violence. And then just two weeks ago, we had the NYPD eradicate the plainclothes unit, which we refer to as the anti-crime unit, which are the stars in the police department. These are the people that actually go out and eradicate gun violence. Over the years, we have experienced precipitous drops in violent crime. However, since de Blasio has come in, more so specifically after the death of George Floyd, he's kind of fell in the, he's kind of fallen asleep at the switch in connection with public safety. We need officers to be proactive and not reactive. But, they're being, but the Darren, things- they're being hogtied by de Blasio. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but he went out and told, he called every precinct ahead of that looting and that rioting we saw in New York City. He called every precinct chief and said, let them vent, let the protesters vent, let them go. So you saw live shots from news reporters with looters with bags of stuff down in Soho and the cops just standing there. You can't be. Okay. So how do we deal with that? So bags and looters and they're just standing there. The cops are just watching. Tell me how you feel about that. Because I'm going to tell you something. If I was NYPD, I would resign. I would do whatever so he can fire me and then I'll collect unemployment. 
I would resign and then I would move to a state that appreciates me because I'd like to introduce you to de Blasio actually born as Warren Willem Jr. He came from a very affluent family. Both of his family members, mom and dad were communists. So they were fired. He went to college in, um, he went to college, Nicaragua in the eighties. He loved the Soviet Union. He was all about communism. He came back uh, to the U.S., joined the Nicaraguan Solidarity Movement of New York, and the goal was to end capitalism and replace it with what they call now democratic socialism. He married in 1994, you know, the wife that's been stealing money, the billion dollars unaccounted for, right, that one. And um, after he got married, uh, you know, he started to work really hard for the Clintons. And in 2001, he, na- he changed his name to Bill de Blasio. <laughs> and look at him now. So that is the guy that wants the police to stand down. I'm sorry. I know everyone's making excuses p- for police officers. And please feel free to not like what I'm going to say. You're totally fine. And I'm fine with people not agreeing with what I say. But man, NYPD, just resign. You're not allowed to do your job. You care more about your paycheck than helping usher in communism. Than seeing people plunge into darkness. If you resign, then he has to file bankruptcy because his policies were the one that forced you to resign. I mean, it's not hard. That is the only way we fix it is by taking a stand. (laughs) And no offense if you take any, but if you're NYPD and you're cashing in your paycheck and doing absolutely nothing, you should be ashamed of yourself. It would be better to walk away or just claim you're sick. Don't go to work. Let de Blasio pick up the phone. Let the place torch. The minute every single NYPD officer stays home, within 10 minutes, 10 minutes, de Blasio will be dethroned and the federal government will step in and assist. Why is it so hard to understand? You don't get change without any pain. And right now, it's just being prolonged. That is the way it has to happen. Now, don't you back the blue? Of course I do. Are you kidding? These people can stop someone at a traffic stop and get shot in the head just for being like, hey, your taillight's out. Just simple stuff. Or like that article that I wrote that was insane where they pulled someone over and they had like a ton of penises in their trunk, like human ones. So these police officers are supposed to be respected. How is anyone going to gain trust? In any police officer in New York, when they're sitting there and they're like, I could see you're getting hurt, but and I could see that they're stealing, but I really can't do anything. Then then go home. Go home. What if all of them, every single one of them got together from every single precinct and said, Yo, we're not going in tomorrow. That's it. What's he gonna do? Fire them all? Sure, let's do it. Bring it on de Blasio bring it on you think the president is gonna let those officers go hungry never so it takes me back to what I've said 
Teachers unions, firemen union, railroad unions, police unions, they fund the Democratic Party. This is the problem. Poke your union. Don't care. You tell them to go stick it where the sun don't shine. I'm not going to work. And I trust that my president is going to lift me up and say, thank you. It won't even be a couple of minutes of no one turning up that everything will change. Everything. Because the minute they decide to do so, convey that information to someone like Mark Meadows. Hey, we're not turning up for work. I'm just giving you a heads up. Or a simple DM or tweet to Secret Service. By the way, none of us are turning up for work. They'll be on the ready. Within minutes, de Blasio will be dethroned and arrested. That's all they have to do. So, this is again self-preservation. I want to say really bad words right now and use my Navy mouth. None of them deserve to wear that badge if they're going to work and standing down. Oh, I have a family to feed. You think the president is going to let you drown? It's only going to be a matter of days. You think the president is going to let you fall? It's only going to be a matter of days before you're reinstated and respected. The people of New York will respect you more for turning your back on that uh, poor excuse of a mayor. My gosh, that was really hard. Then stand there and do nothing. That's what you need. That's what everybody needs right now. To stop thinking about self-preservation. This president has got your back. Why aren't you out there fighting? That's the problem. None of you are. And hey, I love my police officers. But I'm going to tell you what. I won't trust you with my life if you're standing by because some communist in office is telling you to. Some of them go high and mighty. Well, I have a duty to the people. I got to stay here. Shut up. You're not doing anybody. You're just like a, 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 a plant sitting on a desk. You're there just for decoration. You're not allowed to do anything. So it's time for the police to push change. Step down. Say, nope, we're all sick. We all ate some really bad pizza. We had some dodgy Chinese, whatever you want. You went to Dragon Gate right there in Hell's Kitchen. I always had. You think Taco Bell is bad? Oh, no. I just said that about, well, maybe they changed their name. I'm just saying. This is what they need to do. And everyone should be saying the same thing. You can't have change without pressure. And if we have our cops, well, you know, I'm here to protect the people. No, you're not. You're there for a decoration. Step down and have de Blasio pick up the phone. That commercial, the President Trump, oh, just leave a message. We'll get back to you. That's what we need. Why are we doing it? It's going to hurt. But everyone's at home, man. Everyone's at home. And the people will respect you more for doing that than sitting on the sidelines and playing house with this idiot and his thief of a wife. That's the problem. So how does this work out for them? Here we go. They mad at the police for doing what they were told to do. They're hogtied right now. Cheryl, I'm not upset with the police. I'm upset with the fact that de Blasio is not allowing the I police. Understand.
No, we're upset with the police. Okay, we're upset with them. Oh, they're hog tight. Let's make excuses. Dude, everybody has a choice. If I was in the MIPD, I'd be the one saying uh, nobody come to work tomorrow. And you know what? Everybody have like 20 tablespoons of Miralax so you can have physical symptoms of not being able to get off the toilet so you don't turn up tomorrow. Let's like all not turn up tomorrow. I would totally go for that. Because then de Blasio has to put it. I'm saying, what is he going to say? I'm firing all of you. Sure, go ahead then. Let's do it. What are you going to do? Penalize me? Go ahead then. Penalize away. Penalize all of the police officers. Go ahead. We're ready. Then what? What is he going to do? Put up citizens, you know, that are already illegally armed to protect him? That's my point. Understand. I'm saying jobs. I'm upset with de Blasio right. too. I'm saying that no, I feel no, horrible for the NYPD right now. I really do. Right. We have to understand policies being now dictated from City Hall and not one police plaza. The police officers are executors of a strategy of public safety. The mayor is curtailing this. And as a result, we as citizens, the eight and a half million people that reside in New York are suffering in the wake of this horrific crime control. Are you guys tired of excuses? Yeah, so am I, because this is BS, right? Total BS. This is the point where you turn around and you tell your police officer, yo, you wear that badge. You got the cojones to get up in the morning, walk the beat, drive around, get into the projects, walk in, walk out, and confront people, but you don't have the cojones to actually uphold your oath, which is to protect me, because the only way you protect me is by telling de Blasio to stick it. Just, just put... Everybody should just go and buy some Miralax. You know, you're stuck to the toilet, man. It can't come in. What's he going to say? You're all fired. Sure, go ahead. Fire us all. But the problem is self-preservation. This is where you see the real, real soldiers that support America. The people that love America. And not only America, but value sovereignty. Value sovereignty. Hmm. That's something that people don't. This is why we have all these incompetent children that are telling us how much they hate our nation, how much, how much stress they have. I had like an argument on a local page on Facebook today. Oh my God. Just like, I was like, girl, just open up, do everyone a favor and open up a book. Well, we deserve, you know, we're black lives. And I'm like, nobody cares what color you are. I can ask for reparation. Greeks were slaves too. What's up? And I, and I could probably sit there and ask for it from the U.S. and from Turkey. That was 400 years. You know, my ancestors suffered, even though I never saw a day of slavery, right? I never saw any of that. But, you know, I should ask for it. This, it's ridiculous. These people have their own version. Well, my version of history, girl, the minute you start my version of history means you have no idea what history is. And the problem is our institutions. And our institutions are the ones that are pushing these changes within our nation. Now, before we go to that, I wanted to give you a heads up. I'm subscribed to a lot of things. And I told you about Africa, and this leads into the UN. And just listen to this really carefully. So South Africa's debt by the IMF was significantly increased. It went from $390 billion in 2019 to $500 billion right now. What? The investments, tomorrow we will talk about Africa. The investments in that continent 
are insane. So insane. So I want you to see what was the precursor to this um, rise in debt, this weird rise in debt that happened. So weird. And this is just a hint because this is from five years ago. So you're going to be like, so five years later, oh man, it's perpetual. That's how it works. It is perpetual. So let's find this so you guys can see it as well. Mm, Where is that? Let me find it so I can play the clip because not a lot of people know that all of this is going on again right under our nose because, you know, these enemies don't get seen easy. Here we go. Let's play this. Prime time. President Jacob Zuma says if the world body fails to heed the advice of developing nations about the need for reform, South Africa may start a process of consulting before taking the next step. The dominant theme of the 70th session of the United Nations General Assembly was the transformation of the global body, which is accused of being non-representative. Developing nations are frustrated and they are not hiding it. United Nations. They want their voices heard on global matters. There is frustration and I think we are going to do more to ensure that this uh, campaign is indeed intensified. I think uh, big and, and middle countries ought to come together really to push for this and I don't think we should have a situation where we describe the world as a world of democracy, but at the same time allow an, uh, structures or an institution that is dictatorial, that is, uh, has the last word, being a minority, I think it is a contradiction in terms. But they know that whatever action they intend taking, they will need to convince the five permanent members. If that fails, they will explore other avenues. I think we need to consult among ourselves. We need to take a very firm position and say enough is enough. Either they open up for uh, the, the transformation or really we, 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 we say let us change the structures if, if that means we need to change the structures. The UN also saw major powers, Russia and the US, differ on what to do about Syria. The U.S. wants President Assad to go, a position Russia opposes. Judging by the frank discussions taking place here, it would be interesting to see what changes the U.N. will have implemented by the time this body sits next year. You know what the changes were? They got them bankrupt. $500 billion bankrupt. Removed, replaced, rinse and repeat. So that's the first step. So now I'm going to take you to, let's see, let's start with democracy now in 2012. You need to listen to this report because now you're going to understand my fear at Mount Rushmore and see it. Next up, Obama, of course, and then the university where it all came into focus. And this is how (laughs) everything comes to fruition for them. This is how they infiltrate the United States of America. It's maldito angel. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. 
Well, a United Nations investigator has said the United States should return some land to Native American tribes, including South Dakota's Black Hills, which is home to the famous Mount Rushmore Monument. In recent weeks, James Anaya, the U.N. Special Rapporteur on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, conducted the U.N.'s first ever investigation into the plight of Native Americans living in the United States. Anaya has called on the United States to return some land stolen from Native American tribes. Anaya said such a move would be a step toward addressing systemic discrimination against Native Americans that continues to this day. There are approximately 2.7 million Native Americans living in federally recognized tribal areas in the United States. We go now to Tucson, Arizona, to speak with James Anaya, the U.N. Special Rapporteur, who recently concluded his tour across the United States. He is writing a report on his findings. He's also professor of human rights at the University of Arizona College of Law. Uh, professor Anaya, welcome to Democracy Now! Can you talk about what you found and what you are calling for? Okay, so before we continue with them, I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to take you back in time to 2002. I was in Brussels, and there was a, a UN meeting. I wasn't supposed to attend it, but they never pay attention anyway. I had four or five hours to kill. Uh, I didn't feel like going shopping, right? And, you know, my flight got in early, because instead of taking the train from London and then, you know, hopping over with a vehicle, right, which was the plan, I took a flight because I had to go drop off my daughter um, to my parents and then fly back. So I just mosey on in. This is 2002. So I'm sitting there quietly listening to something very disturbing which was a budget that they were talking about with the people of Europe. So the, it's United Nations, but only the European OGs and some others were there. And that also included uh, the Republic of Congo, which was so bizarre. I was just like, whoa, they're like super random. And the discussion was how they would implement or put forward sending UN you know, troops to the United States and under the guise of 9-11 uh, to push this forward with Bush to come in. And lo and behold, who was there? There was a guy from Oklahoma. <laughs> Native American, of course. And so he's sitting there talking and I couldn't hear. It was inaudible from where I sat. I didn't want to raise any attention. It's not like I have, a, I have a forgettable face if I want to, right? If I want to. So I just sat there with my coffee and really wanted to eat my croissant, but the paper was making noise, so I didn't want eyes on me. And I see him talking like, oh, like they were talking, but the microphones were off. So everybody else there wasn't listening. No one was using interpreters. So they agreed to, you know, further the United Nations, um, you know, actions to acknowledging Native American tribes and under that guise, go in. This was the gist of the discussion. Now, that remained in the back of my mind because I found it bizarre that an African nation was also in on the conversation and how native American from Oklahoma was in Brussels 
talking about, hey, maybe you can house some UN troops like on our reservation, right? It was so bizarre. It made no sense. And, you know, I tried to search the internet, but, you know, back then there wasn't a lot. And um, asked a couple people without raising flags, and I pretty much got nothing. So this is a very important um, discussion that they're having here, which is from 2012, as you can see, how we should return Mount Rushmore back to the Native Americans. Now, remember, we always thought that reservations were created as an apology tactic. We went to war. We took over. Borders redrawn. So we're sorry we're giving you some land here. You know, that doesn't usually happen throughout history. I'm not trying to be mean. Let's be realistic. How many borders have been redrawn? Tons. How many nations have disappeared, reappeared, never to be heard of again? Millions throughout time. Sometimes nations were as big as a city block. So strikes you odd that this happened. Yes, because there was a purpose for it. Because like I told you, when that ink had not even dried, they already had a plan in place. Well, first of all, good morning. It's good to be on the program. Uh, what I found are vibrant uh, communities, indigenous communities throughout the country that are striving to survive as distinct peoples with their cultures intact, transmit those cultures to future generations. But they face a, a number of challenges. Uh, the indigenous peoples of this country, the Native Americans, American Indians, Alaska Natives, uh, Native Hawaiians, um, suffer from poverty, uh, poor health conditions, uh, lack of attainment of formal education, social ills at rates uh, far that, that, that far exceed uh, those of other segments of the American population. And these uh, conditions are related to a, a history of wrongs that they have suffered that uh, most Americans are, are familiar with. Just to be clear, this is James Anaya. He's a United Nations special rapporteur. Now, let's ignore him. And let's move on to a video by the, well, let's... Let's see, we have the, there we go, the 10th anniversary. This is 2017, a little bit fast forward, but um, we'll, f we'll, we'll go back to Barack Hussein Obama because you just have to, you have to see this to believe it, you know, to see exactly what's going on. Listen to how great this sounds. The United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples well, the elders in my community were very concerned about treaty violations and they concluded that we need to go to the international arena to try and get our treaties honored and respected. And from that initiative became the, the negotiations on the UN Declaration. Wait, did you see that? U.S., uh, the negotiations, 27 years, right? So that means it started in the 90s. And it, the declaration was actually signed in 2007. And like I said, I heard that in 2002. Which resulted in the adoption of the declaration by the Human Rights Council and then the General Assembly. When we reflect back on the 27 years of work on the declaration, we are very encouraged. The dream of our elders in the past is now there and being implemented uh, back home. 
paradigm shift to the recognition of Indigenous rights. Learn it, live it, love it. Under threat has been our freedom on our land and territories. And after extensive negotiations and, and failed negotiations, we uh, looked up to strategic litigation. We leaned on the opportunities that internationally established normatives, such as the Declaration, offers to indigenous people. It formed a central part of our argument. And the highest court of Belize, the Supreme Court, and the Caribbean Court of Justice have uh, agreed that there is an obligation on the government under the spirit of the declaration to ensure that the customary rights, the collective rights of the Maya people ought to be protected under the constitution equal to any other forms of protection of property. Okay, let's just stop right there. So this is what they're telling you, that it's all about their heritage. Huh. I'm one of the first people to tell you there is no way I would agree to eradicate a language, uh, to eradicate a culture, because we learn from history, especially ancient civilizations. So what is it exactly that they're saying? Remember, the indigenous people around the world are the most harmed when it comes to human trafficking the most harmed when it comes to poverty because yet they claim they want independence. They still want dependence and then they want reparations, but then they want independence and they go and sign off agreements like this. Well, here is a university. This is the university of Colorado law school where they talk about implementing the UN declaration on the rights of indigenous people in the United States. I want you to listen to Walter Eco Hawk. So happens to be from Oklahoma too, uh, where he discusses in a Trump era, how they would implement. Look at that a year later, SCOTUS doing exactly what they needed to have their backup plan in place. So this is where the problem lies. Infiltration. And that is to address at the inception conceptual and strategic aspects for implementing the declaration into U.S. law and policy. The declaration uh, has a great purpose, and that is to restore the inherent indigenous and human rights to indigenous peoples and to provide them with restorative justice. And there can be no higher goal than the pursuit of justice. Hold on. I'm rewinding it because you need to hear his bullet points. It went a little bit too far. It's pretty interesting, right? Look at that. Colorado law. No wonder. Okay. Um, yes, thank you, uh, uh, Heather, uh, for the uh, introduction. And uh, very glad to be here, everyone. Good morning. Um, I commend um, everyone for being there. I, I think you are very uh, hardy souls to uh, have braved the big storm. And I wish I could be there in person with you. I am coming to you from my home here in rural Oklahoma. <clears throat> I got caught flat-footed uh, yesterday when all of our flights uh, to Colorado were canceled uh, yesterday due to the storm and, and uh, again um, uh, today. And 
So, um, in any event, uh, I am very honored to uh, be here and to serve with the uh, distinguished uh, panelists uh, that are with me this morning. Uh, my remarks will touch on four areas. First, why are we here? Number two, I wanted to provide some of my thoughts for uh, uh, the need for reforming federal Indian law and strengthening it with the UN Declaration standards. Uh, third, I'd like to take a look at the path ahead briefly, uh, and that is the short-term uh, uh, path ahead during the Trump era. And then finally, I'd like to share my thoughts on what we can do now uh, in the short term during the Trump era, uh, which I view as a very critical uh, research and planning stage for our campaign to implement the Declaration. Did you guys hear that during the short term? Because they, they're just totally sure that President Trump is going to be out of the picture. Right. So this is the U.N. declaration that they want to implement and how they can plan to implement it. Are you listening? Native Americans across the nation that have been brainwashed to think that their leaders are fighting for their sovereignty have handed it over to those that wish to conquer Every single man, woman, and child on this planet. It is treasonous to their own. What makes them think that they're special or that they're going to hold on to them or let them be around except for farming them, which is key for that? <laughs> Other than that, there is no utopia under the UN Charter if you read it. There's a dystopia. First, why are we here? We are gathered here, or you are gathered there, I should say, at this kickoff conference for an important purpose, and that is to address at the inception conceptual and strategic aspects for implementing the Declaration into U.S. law and policy. The Declaration uh, has a great purpose, and that is to restore the inherent indigenous and human rights to indigenous peoples and to provide them with restorative justice. And there can be no higher goal than the pursuit of justice. What is his idea of justice? Man, I've been to powwows. I wanted to go one uh, up at Turtle Mountain. I never got to. You know, the culture is incredible. We want Native American culture to stay intact. We have so much to learn. Yet, for some reason, there's been like this line drawn because they claim justice. And I don't understand what you mean by justice. I don't. Because if every single nation on this planet demanded justice, we would be at war every single day. Every single day. The Greeks would be, I mean, come on, Cyprus has been taking over half of it since 1974 with Turkey. There would be a bloodbath every day saying, give it back, give it back. Conquered islands by the Brits and the French. 
War every day. Give it back. Give it back. I mean, look at the deep-seated wars that are happening between the Kurds and the Iraqis and the Turks, where the Turks took land from everybody. And if everybody fought, it would be like, give it back, give it back. So again, how come the United Nations aren't making a declaration of rights to Kurds, Jews, or anybody else, but they're doing it for the Native Americans, specifically the ones in the United States? The other ones are just, you know, a byproduct. Why? Because you're the means to their way to take down this nation. That is exactly it. These organizations are vicious. Look who sits on their women's rights and human rights council. People that throw gays off roofs. That slaughter people in the street with machetes. And yet, they're here to preach. And people like Echo Hawk are the ones selling out the Native Americans. This is where... Let bygones be bygones and stand your ground. Native Americans have so much to offer us and the world. And yet they're staying on their reservations all secluded. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. Stop. We're all one here. We're sharing the same land. Your ancestors got duped by really vicious people. We get it. Everybody got duped at some point in time. Let's all make up. Because right now what you're doing is you're already being maimed by these elitists, stealing your women and your children. And now you're handing them over your land. And SCOTUS' decision just helped the UN expand. And we cannot rest until that goal is obtained. And our starting place, um, it seems to me, in our campaign for bringing restorative justice for First Americans is to make our well-laid plans and strategies to fulfill the principles outlined in the Declaration, to domesticate them and incorporate them into federal Indian law. Um, so I'm glad we're here today, and I'm very thankful to NARF and to CU Law for forming this uh, vitally important national project to implement the declaration. You know, since 2007, when the UN approved the declaration, we here in the United States have been looking for lawyers of a certain kind to help lead us into the human rights realm. And now we've found them here in Boulder in this very room. And I just want to remind everyone that today is a historic time. We do sit at the confluence of international law and domestic law, thanks to the makers who made the Declaration. Huh. The Declaration that Bush refused to acknowledge, but guess who didn't? Hold on. You need to hear this speech. Because this is about to get super awkward for those Obama, you know, rooters. Here we go. And as you know, in April, we announced that we were reviewing our position on the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And today I can announce that the United States is lending its support to this declaration.
The aspirations it affirms, including the respect for the institutions and rich cultures of Native peoples, are one we must always seek to fulfill. And we're releasing a more detailed statement about U.S. support for the Declaration and our ongoing work in Indian Country. But I want to be clear. What matters far more than words, what matters far more than any resolution or declaration, are actions to match those words. And that's what this conference is about. That's what this conference is about. That's the standard I expect my administration to be held to. So we're making progress. We're moving forward. And what I hope is that we are seeing a turning point in the relationship between our nations. Huh. You know what it was, right? The delay. The whole, what do I get out of it and who's in charge you in? Uh, we need to be in charge of this whole thing. This was their backup plan. Because when war starts, you need a foothold. And I'm telling you, it's going to come from the reservations that have implemented or have faux implemented this UN declaration. The truth is, for a long time, Native Americans were implicitly told that they had a choice to make. By virtue of the long-standing failure to tackle wrenching problems in Indian country, it seemed as though you had to either abandon your heritage or accept a lesser lot in life. But there was no way to be a successful part of America and a proud Native American. But we know this is a false choice. To accept it is to believe that we can't and won't do better. And I don't accept that. I know there's not a single person in this room who accepts that either. We know that ultimately this is not just a matter of legislation, not just a matter of policy. It's a matter of whether we're going to live up to our basic values. It's a matter of upholding an ideal that has always defined who we are as Americans. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. That's why we're here. That's what we're called to do, and I'm confident. Did you hear that? Out of many, one. Out of many, one. And just like a listener uh, said, and Obama is thinking, listen to these stupid people cheering on their own demise and then he laughed that's the thing they don't get it they've been duped they have been maiming native americans and indigenous people for centuries and you know while everyone's like oh you have to be sensitive man native americans are so badass excuse my french i adore them Yet I feel so bad because they are so isolated. The propaganda is just insane. And they believe that things like implementing this UN Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People is the way to go. It's not. It's the way they forfeit every single right to their nation and hand over the keys to their culture, their language, and their own people to the United Nations that have made it clear that Agenda 30 is in plan. This is why they said, hey, we're going to, uh, you know, stall on, you know, uh, Agenda 21, and now we're at 30. And the goals and targets of that over the next 15 years, as they said, is critical importance to humanity. Again, out of one many, 
let me tell you, there is only one state in this nation, one state that has that motto on their flag. And I have been screaming from the top of the hills about this one state, the state that gave Apple and Android, Google, the algorithm and the platform to be able to track trace you. The same state that has invested all state pensions and investments of the people into China, betting against our own country. The same state that was called out by Pompeo for sitting in the front row of a Chinese conference. The same state that is run by a governor that sold his company and is co-owners of his company with Bill Gates. The same state with the same clown that sits and smiles while he takes away rights and implemented, you know, DNA harvesting parties. Yeah, that's North Dakota. Guess how many indigenous lands are there? Tons. And it gives access to the northern border where more UN territory exists. This is where it stands, you guys. This is exactly what is going on. This is how they take over. This is how they get their foothold in our nation. And um, for my radio viewers, I went over by a minute. (laughs) I believe that, uh, you know, they got duped for that last minute thought. I will post it up on iHeart and iTunes afterwards. But I want you guys to know that this is a very touchy subject for me. Because I believe that diversity is greatest in numbers. The more diverse we are, the more successful we are as a species, to advance. And embracing these differences we have, obviously with good intentions, right, is important. So for all of you that have Native American friends, are Native American, raise these notions up with your own people, family, and friends. Because you are being used. And if you're angered thinking that you've been abused by the first settlers of America, this is going to be worse. This will wipe you off the map. The only thing that you'll have left is to be, what did that guy say? I'm like a cow. I provide a product. On that note, I want to tell you guys, um, I am going to be talking about Africa tomorrow. I will revisit this again. And, um, you know, this is going to be a pretty interesting week to remember. And always think, keep your eyes on those that keep, that are supposed to be our backbone, right? Because they always say, you're not stronger, you're as strong as your weakest link. Well, our military is supposed to be our backbone. If that's not working right, and they're working against us, Aside from the fact of it being treason, that's ground for tribunal executions. On that note, God bless everyone. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Same time, same place.